Hello and welcome to Think Fit Be Fit podcast. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I'm the hostess and creator of this podcast and podcast network. Think Fit Be Fit is a podcast dedicated to effective thinking for potent exercise. And today we are venturing into health, wellness, especially for anti-aging and retired athletes with a friend and colleague, Dr. Gregory Charlop. And that is, you can find him at gregorycharlopmd.com. His last name is C-H-A-R-L-O-P. He has a telemedicine program that you can uh, be a patient of from the comfort of your home. He works with men and women, middle-aged and retired athletes, and he helps people feel less tired, lose weight, uh, high, you know, helps them with high performance in the boardroom or on the field. He's also uh, He can also help people with sexual health, overall well-being, and even in uh, he can help people with herbal medicine as well. So you'll find that he is very approachable and has such a bold and um, honest approach to helping people. And I really appreciate that. We um, had a really great conversation, mostly about his upcoming summit, which is called the uh, Women's Sports Summit. And you can find that at the website womenssportsforum.com and that is on June 17th and you will have all the details about that within our conversation and he also has a third website called retiredathletehealth.com and he has a wealth of information he shares a lot on social media so I encourage you to follow him there and also um Feel free to shoot us any questions because we are going to be hosting a live event as well for the podcast listeners. So if you have uh, questions about anti-aging medicine or medicine and health for retired athletes, please send us a message at Think Fit Be Fit Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or on my Instagram at Jennifer underscore Simone underscore Schwartz. You can also connect with us through the newsletter at thinkfitbefitpodcast.com. And if you sign up for that, you will receive special offers from our wonderful guests like Gregory and information about courses. So where you can advance your exercise practice to be your own best personal trainer. I look forward to your feedback and uh, that, you know, opening your eyes to a new way of practicing medicine and helping retired athletes function and be healthy. Because one of the main things that we uncovered through this conversation is that not sports and being athletic is not the same as being healthy and that we have to learn how to take care of ourselves, just like we have to learn a sport. And there's just nothing more rewarding than diving deep on your well-being and investing in your body and your health and making health habits and exercise habits stick for a lifetime. 
I really hope to uh, that you guys enjoy this episode. I know I did. All right. Hello. Welcome to Think Fit, Be Fit, Dr. Greg. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. Uh, where are you, um, based on your background, are you coming to us from Texas? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am actually, you know, it's, so it's funny. So I'm from California and I live pretty much my whole life in California, but I moved to Texas about a year ago. So now when I do these calls, I, I don't know, for those of you who can't see it, I've got this crazy background with cowboys and horses and everything. And I think this is how my California friends view what life in Texas is like. Uh-huh. Probably for you, New Yorkers and East Coasters, you probably view Texas the same way. So, so I like sure. fun with it. Yeah, I've been I've been to Texas multiple times, but um, you know, I, I definitely get it. I definitely understand the Wild West mentality down there. <laughs> um, so please introduce yourself and uh, tell us what you're up to as far as like helping people and how people work with you. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It's it's great to be here. And my name is Dr. Gregory Charlop, and it's a funny one. It's spelled C-H-A-R-L-O-P. And I'm an anesthesiologist by training, but I spend most of my time now dealing with health and wellness issues. I, I work on telemedicine. So I work online with people and we have chats just like you and I are having today. And we we look at ways that we can improve health and wellness. And I'm particularly focused on working with athletes and retired athletes. That's my sort of main group of people. But I also work with executives or really with anyone who's very motivated to take steps to improve their health. And My big focus is on something called anti-aging medicine, which is kind of a hot new thing, which if you had asked me about a few years ago, I would have thought you were making it up, but it's real and I love it. And so we focus, there's a lot of people that are interested in what you can do to slow the aging process and to have more energy and feel more awake and more focused and be more productive during the day. And I find particularly, this is certainly true for athletes and definitely for retired athletes. And there's a lot of ways of doing this through diet and through exercise, which I know you're an expert in, and sleep and technology and supplements. And so this is what I'm all about. And I'm also the author of a book, Why Doctors Skip Breakfast. And you can get Why Doctors Skip Breakfast. It's available from Amazon. And if you're an audio listener, you can get the audiobook of Why Doctors Skip Breakfast from Audible. And the big thing I'm really excited about is we're having this big forum. It's called the Women's Sports Forum. And the Women's Sports Forum, it's a virtual event. It's it's online. It's available to anyone. You can get tickets now if you just go to womensportsforum.com. And uh, what we're doing is we're talking about women athletes. And we believe that women athletes deserve better. And we feel that women athletes don't get the attention they deserve. And so the Women's Sports Forum is focused on improving the health and mental wellness of of women athletes. And we have some remarkable panelists, including Olympians. We have a number of Olympians who are speaking. And we have former NFL players. And we have sports lawyers and sports psychologists and really a remarkable team. 
We'd love anyone listening, if you're interested, I encourage you to go to womensportsforum.com. Grab tickets. It's June 17th. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you part of the part of the group. Mm. I took a look at that list and I was I was I was impressed. I it looks like there like nothing I have, you know, been aware of in the space of women's sports. And this is for me a topic that is near and dear to my heart because, you know, I could be identified as a retired female athlete and spent most of my career with that mission of helping equalize the availability of uh, treatment for female athletes. Because, you know, as a young athlete, I injured my knees. You know, I had three knee surgeries before I was 19. Mm. And so I got to know the physical therapy room and the training room really well. And, uh, you know, I had the resources to recover and eventually play at a higher level and in college. And it was such a gift uh, for me. And I realized that so much of who I am now was from that formative time. And it's just, a, but I also realized within that process that female athletes don't have the same access to healthcare or uh, wellness care, you know, that, um, that they need and that they, they require. So I'm so happy to have you to be able to talk about this and, you know, help people, you know, maybe get to know themselves on this level and also uh, encourage them to to take an active role in their health and their wellness with your forum. So thank you so much for putting it together. And the timing couldn't be better for, um, you know, because I just, I, I'm so happy to be able to, you know, contribute in any way I can to getting people enrolled. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad that you mentioned it. You know, it, obviously it's kind of been in the news lately, <laughs> with the whole NCAA basketball thing mm-hmm. and, you know, that, that terrible discrepancy between the extravagant weight room that the, the men have and that, what was it? I think it was just a set of, of dumbbells or something was yeah. all they had for the women. I mean, it was really, you know, you don't, you don't know about it. You didn't hear about this stuff. And now thankfully it's starting to come to life. Mm. I mean, when I saw those pictures, I was, you know, I, I, I was like, mm, that looks exactly the same as it did 25 years ago, 20 years ago. It's not, <laughs> it's not, it hasn't inched. And, um, you know, we've seen progress in other areas for female athletes and not much, you know, endorsements and visibility. Um, it was amazing, you know, to be a part of, to, to watch the NWSL uh, which is the National Women's Soccer League, get the attention that they got during COVID and um, the LPGA and, um, you know, seeing growth in those areas of women's sports and visibility, I think is happening. But let's, you know, let's talk about the other side, which is self-care, wellness care. And, um, you know, what 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 motivated um, or inspired you to, create this forum and conference? Well, part of it, I guess, is selfish because I have two daughters and granted they're kind of on the young side, you know, they're still in elementary school, but uh-huh. uh, 
you know, my, my hope is that they'll grow to, to play sports and, 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 you know, we're hoping that they'll play sports in college, although I know that's a little aggressive to be thinking about that <laughs> because it's, it's far away. But I, I think, you know, you hear about how women, I think in college and, and beyond they're, they're, they struggle with, with sports. You know, I, I, one of the things I didn't even know about this, I just found out about this this morning was with the NCAA, I mean, we all know about the weight rooms, but even the COVID testing, the COVID testing apparently mm -hmm. was inferior. It wasn't as rigorous for the women athletes as it was for the men. And, you know, that you hear about these types of things and it's just very difficult to explain. Mm -hmm. But even beyond that, you know, you, you mentioned about health and wellness. And one of the things that I've learned in working on this is that uh, women have a lot of different sets of issues that they have to worry about than men do. I mean, obviously there's some things that overlap, right? Mm -hmm. But 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 there's a lot of things that are that are different for women than men. For example, nutritionally, their needs are different than men. For supplements, their needs are different than men. Workout regimens would be different. Uh, in terms of mental wellness, mm -hmm. which is a big thing that we focus on in the forum, there are huge differences. And, and the truth is that there are a lot of things that women have to deal with that men simply don't, or they don't have to as much. Uh, for example, and I've spoken to a number of female athletes about this, pregnancy. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously men aren't worrying about that, but women how do you time pregnancy with your sport? Do you delay getting pregnant because of your sport? Do you get pregnant and bounce back afterwards? You know, how does that affect your playing career? How does that affect, you were mentioning endorsements. Yeah. How does that affect endorsements? This was a, a big thing that just came in the news recently that, that people are upset with Nike because of uh, Nike, reportedly Nike sort of discouraging pregnancy for their, their women athletes that are spokespeople. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things like that, family issues. And a lot of women are working to take care of their younger kids. They may also, mm -hmm. women also disproportionately are responsible for older parents mm. more than men are. And then there's other issues that women face. Like a lot of women athletes, they lose their periods or their periods become irregular. I mean, there's a lot of things that are important that simply don't come up as a routine in sports conferences that, that mm -hmm. we feel needs more attention. Right. Spot on. Uh, I, yeah, I have experience with, you know, definitely the, uh, in, you know, the periods and menstruation and, um, but the other thing is back to what you were saying about the endorsements and public, you know, and planning around that, you know, we can count on two hands the women that have, you know, a given birth and coming back, returned to physical, act, you know, uh, sorry, professional sports. You know, it, it's like literally um, this, this was unheard of uh, 20 years ago. Now we are in a whole new era of, you know, helping these women um, be, act, you know, it sounds like just functioning adults and have a career because, it wasn't, you know, um, when it goes all the way down to what they're getting paid to, uh, you know, the, the access to right. Like healthcare. Oh, so that's a big topic. Um, I'm glad you guys are covering that. And then, uh, but the, the menstruation 
issue um, that applies to younger athletes as, and so you're saying as well as old, uh, retired and uh, retired athletes, is that correct? Well, so as you know, <laughs> the athletic careers for most people are pretty short, you know, mm -hmm. it's it, men or women, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's the, the vast majority of college athletes don't make it to play professionally, you know, mm -hmm. and then among those that do, you know, the vast majority of them may only play a year or a couple of years. And, you know, this is actually a big issue for NFL players because there's a lot of people who play in the NFL and, uh, if they're lucky enough to make it there, they often play for one or two years and that's it. And then you've got all these guys and they're banged up and they have concussions and they have a lot of pretty significant physical injuries, but they haven't really played that long in pro sports. Truthfully, they haven't made that much money from it because they just did it for a year or two. Uh, and then they have difficulty getting insurance afterwards and they have a lot of chronic problems. Mm. I think for women, it's the same thing, you know, there's a lot of women athletes, they uh, most likely won't make it into pro sports, simply just as a numbers game, there's only so many spots. And those that do, you know, their playing career is often just a few years, you know, with, with a few exceptions, right, like the Williams sisters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so you have a lot of retired athletes, a lot of retired women athletes, and they're still in their, you know, their, their their years when they're having periods and when they could conceivably have have children. And so this is something that you have to factor in. And what, you know, and this is a struggle that I think is is very difficult, I think, for a lot of women athletes, because I mean the truth is that most likely if you're going to be successful in sports, man or woman, you're it's probably going to be in your 20s. And so if you're a woman and you are in your 20s and you're having a reasonably successful sports career, how do you manage that with a family life? Mm. You know, in terms of pregnancy, in terms of, are you willing to risk losing your periods because you're really training aggressively or you have this very aggressive diet because you wanna maximize your years with the best earning potential. And then if you're losing your periods during these years or you're delaying pregnancy during these years, Will that have any long-term consequences for you and your family? And, the, and these are important things that that simply aren't really addressed very often. And a lot of people struggle with, and and I think a lot of women struggle with this almost on their own because mm -hmm. you know it, it, there isn't a huge support system. I think mm -hmm. for a lot of these folks in terms of discussing this and getting wise advice about what to do. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I can't recall anybody asking me a, a tip, uh, a question like that. <laughs> um, and the other thing that comes to mind when we talk about, um, women menstruation, um, skipping periods is their future bone health as well. Um, I, you know, and that, I guess that comes to mind because that's something like I can speak to as a professional, uh, you know, I, I work mainly with chronic injury, chronic tightness, uh, people, most of 90% of my clients in the clinic are those who have had athletic injuries and just, ha you know, never got their full reset, just never recovered. And, just, you know, some of us won't because the injury itself accelerated the aging process of the joint. Right. So, um, 
anyway, so I, you know, I, and then looking in the context of self-care and um, being able to work out effectively uh, is another topic that uh, comes to mind because a lot of women tend, a lot of female athletes will tend to overdo it in the gym after, like they don't, they don't have that how-to instruction on, okay, now you're not competing three days a week and training six days a week. How do you train your body on your own without your team involved? And sometimes that'll lead them down the path of doing too much and hurting themselves. And then also creating a comp, you know, compounding like injury processes on top of that. Anyways. Um, what is the other, what, what, a, so you as a physician, um, is there anything that comes to mind that surprised you about uh, learning about retired athletes in general and female athletes as you've transitioned uh, to telemedicine and helping people with, you know, anti-aging and diet and things like that? There, there is, and I'll, there are a number of things. I'll tell you the biggest surprise to me, you know, as someone I'll be honest with you and say, I mean, I always love sports and I've always loved watching it, but in terms of being kind of intimately involved with the lives of athletes, this is really just the last few years. So before then, as a layperson, you assume that athletes, they have the best medical care, right? Like they're, they're making their living with their bodies. Presumably, you know, you just hear about how athletes are so in tune with their bodies and their health and... So as a layperson, I always assume that athletes had the best of the best when it came to to medical care and nutrition advice and physical therapy. That's what you just that's just what you assume, right? I, I just took that for granted. But now that I've worked with a lot of athletes, and this is actually true for men and women, I find that isn't true at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is true that I think athletes understand their bodies better than the rest of us. But in terms of the healthcare, in many ways, I think they get worse healthcare than, than a lot of us, particularly relative to what they need. Yeah. Yes, it's true that, you know, if an athlete tears their Achilles tendon, they'll get a great orthopedic surgeon to fix that. That is true. But the rest of it, like the, the nutrition and the, the diet and the supplements and sleep, and I, I think in, in many ways, even physical therapy and other things, they don't get the care that you would expect athletes to get. And that was a huge surprise for me. And so as an example, and, and, and also, and also, and we didn't touch on this too much, but this is an important thing, mental health care, mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Athletes don't get nearly the attention that you would expect. Mm-hmm. And retired athletes get even less. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of people that, uh, and, and you'll see this a lot, like in college, for example, college athletics, many college teams don't have a dedicated, let's say, nutritionist or a dedicated physician other than maybe an orthopedic surgeon to deal with sort of acute orthopedic injuries. Or at most, maybe they ha- there's one person that covers all of the teams for the whole hospital, I mean, for the whole college. And then in, in, for the professional teams, again, they don't have the, the, the medical care and the nutrition care that you would expect most of the time. So there's a lot of athletes that simply, they're kind of on their own in terms of figuring out what to eat, how much to eat, when to eat, you know, they don't, you know, they don't know. So they experiment on themselves and, or they're asking their friends. 
And, and they're not getting the sort of professional advice that you would expect these athletes to get. And that was a big surprise for me. Yeah. And then after retirement, and I just want to be clear, when I'm saying retirement, I don't mean 65 and retired. I mean retirement from sports. That's good to clear that up. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. I should have clarified that. So in my mind, retirement could be 32 if, if that's what the end of your, your say, golf career or tennis career or something. Uh, after retirement, they, they often get, you know, very little medical care or at best the same medical care that you and I are getting from our HMO that we, you know, that we go to. <laughs> and so uh, a lot of these folks end up suffering with these chronic problems that are not adequately addressed. Mm-hmm. And we see this, like if you look at soccer players, for example, a lot of soccer players, men and women, uh, have concussions. Mm-hmm. And they got these during their playing careers, and there are long-term consequences to this. Mm. A lot of athletes of all stripes have mental health issues. And, you know, you mentioned something which is important. You touched on this, which is you're with a team. And a lot of athletes, you know, in team sports, they're used to being with teams. They've got their, their, their teammates. They've got their coaches. They've got the support staff. And also, frankly, they got, you know, attention, right? You know, they're in the news, they're people are looking up to them. They're mm-hmm. kind of celebrities. And then you retire, you've lost that attention. You know, you're not a celebrity like you were in the past. You've lost your teammates because everybody's kind of gone their separate ways. You don't have the coaches and the support staff anymore. And now you're alone. Mm-hmm. And, and on top of that, a lot of these people may have been looked to by their families to kind of rise the family up because they they weren't just a celebrity for themselves, but they were kind of a celebrity for the family. Mm-hmm. And so they have a lot of responsibilities on their shoulder. And now they're 30 and they're not in sports anymore, or they're 35 and they're not in sports anymore. And all that stuff has vanished. And so not only are they now not getting the sort of physical slash healthcare they need, but now they have all these sort of mental health struggles that they're facing and they're facing it alone. And a lot of them feel quite isolated. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, that is, I think a really, uh, a rising trend in this conversation with athletes, which is so great to see and hear, especially uh, what, you know, I had a, a special inside view of what was going on during COVID. Um, I also have worked within an NFL combine training uh, program as a, you know, like a neuromuscular therapist. So in the training room, alongside a chiropractor, acupuncturist, massage, which is not typical, you know, <laughs> um, and so from that view of my experience, and that's pre-COVID as well, it's like we're working with these young men that have never been, um, they're working on their health fully for the first time, and they're not competing and getting beat up by the game. And they're just prepping for the combine, which is just, it's such an honor to be there and hold space for them and help them do that. I just look forward to that every year. And then secondly, um, during COVID, the mental health challenges that people had, um, that athletes had, were just a completely different animal, you know? So we're talking about, I I don't need, like there was so much, um, the, the women's soccer 
and I've got like a bone to pick about this, honestly, like the women's soccer did not get the coverage for pulling off what they did because they were like the first tournament in Utah to like really pull off something during COVID before the NBA. So of course ESPN didn't cover that by the way. Um, and they had a successful tournament in a bubble and only, and one team did not participate because on the way there, they had like six positive COVID tests. And so this is back in November, 2020, October, sorry. Anyway, so they had mental health professionals on site for the women's soccer. And I thought that was just incredible. Um, and it, a great effort on the league's part. And I think anybody who is interested in seeing the progression of women's sport in general um, should support the NWSL, which is the American, you know, soccer league for women's professionals. And um, they're just like so impressive of, as to what they are uh, trying to achieve now. So anyways, so um, let's get back to uh, the forum, if that's okay, the, unless you have more comments on mental health. No, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about the women's sports forum. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so what are you presenting on for this? Because I saw the list of people. It was, it, I mean, I was, I, I really was, am impressed by the, the lineup that you have. So can we just talk a little bit more about the people inside uh, the forum? And what are you presenting on? Yeah, yeah, I'd be delighted to. So the forum has sort of uh, a number of panels. So for example, we have a panel on grit and resilience and overcoming adversity. And and there's um, there's some really interesting stories that I'm, I'm really excited about hearing that will come up on that panel. Uh, for example, there's a guy, he's a, he's a football player. And while he was in college, I want to say his junior or senior year, he ended up developing a brain tumor. And so he had this experimental brain surgery while he was a college football player. And uh, thankfully, he recovered and it worked. And he went back and he finished his college football career and even played briefly in the NFL until he unfortunately had another back injury. But he, he's a really, really sort of resilient guy. You know, you, you, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I've, you know, we've all had struggles and I've had little ups and downs, but if you read his story and I'm not even including all of it, I'm leaving a lot of it because I want people to go to them in sports forum and hear him say for himself, but you hear about the stuff that he's done and you just feel so small by comparison because he dealt with struggles that I've never imagined. And he, he faced them head on and he bounced back and he has a great attitude and it hasn't stopped him. And it's, and it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And so there is a big discussion about sort of grit and, 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 and mental wellness. And we have some Olympians, including one, she's Indian and she, was very, very successful for the Indian um, Olympic team and set all kinds of records. And she talks about what that was like and then what it was like, she now lives in the US, but what it was like to be there and then come here and leave her country. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of very, really very impressive stories about this. And then we also have a panel uh, which covers some of the things you talked about, balancing family life 
mm-hmm. and your athletic career. And, and these are real struggles that a lot of women face that simply men most of the time don't face to the same extent. And then the third panel, which is the one I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to kind of be the MC for it. So you'll hear me throughout the thing. But the one that I'm most involved is I'm the moderator for a panel on the more kind of medical side of it. So we have actually two nutritionists mm. who are on it and then a prestigious uh, OBGYN fertility doctor who's on it. And so these three ladies, they're, they're, they're real experts in, in, in kind of the more medical health side of, of sports. And so uh, the obstetrician, Dr. Alexander, she's going to, to kind of come into the discussion about pregnancy and what are the effects of delaying it and what are your effects? She's a fertility expert, actually. She's not just an OBGYN, but she specializes in fertility. And she'll talk about things like, what are your chances of getting pregnant later? And what happens if you delay? Really interesting stuff that I don't think a lot of people know about. And we're talking about the periods and and what effect uh, will that have on your life later if you're missing them or if if, if, if they're suffering because of sports. And then the two nutritionists, one of them is a sports nutritionist, and she deals with a lot of athletes and retired athletes. She and I actually do very similar things, um, although our backgrounds are different. And then we have another nutritionist, and she works for uh, the Charlotte Hornets, and uh, she's, she's their nutritionist. And so we have a lot of cool sports nutrition that we'll be talking about at the Women's Sports Forum. So it'll be great. I I really encourage any women who are listening to this to go, but also men will also get a lot out of this because uh, certainly you want to be sensitive to the issues women are facing, but also a lot of these things are quite universal. Mm -hmm. And it's important for all of us to understand what are the impact of, of, say, delaying your family and what are the impacts of what you eat on your, your sports performance. And, and obviously the lessons of grit and resilience are, are relevant to us all. Sure. Um, okay, so let's take a, a big, like zoomed out picture of women's health, women's sports, uh, retired athletes. So if, some, if, a, if a female is retiring and there is a, count, uh, a program that they can go into, as to, you know, how they can create a healthy path for themselves. Uh, what do you think that would look like? Like a, like a coaching program or something mm. that would help them? No, they could work with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what does that look like? Tell it, yeah. Well, okay, so I, I have a, so I focus, I talked about on, you know, I do telemedicine. So when, when I work with people, it's, it's all online. Mm-hmm. And so what, 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 what we do is diet is a big thing. So what I, I really like focusing on that, and that has a big impact on, how, impact on how we age. And so for diet, one of the first things I do is I have everybody do sort of a dietary log. And there's some cool apps for this. And so I like to see, you know, what are you eating normally? And this is actually kind of a fun thing to do. I've had a lot of people do it. I've done it myself a number of times. And, you know, it's interesting, even if we never work together, I'd encourage everybody to do this just because I think that what you think you eat is different than what you actually eat. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask a lot mm-hmm. of people and, and I can't tell you people have told me, oh, I hardly eat junk food. Oh, you know, I don't eat late night snacks that often. You know, I, you, I hear this all the time. 
But when you actually record it, you'll be surprised. You eat a lot more junk food than you think. You probably have a lot more late night snacks than you think. I'll tell you for myself, uh, I drank very little water. <laughs> I mean, I, I always knew I didn't really like water, but but when I actually tracked it, I drank way less water than I even thought I drank. Yeah, I would like, yeah, I I would second all of that. Uh it's it's like such a good self-awareness activity to record your food not even if you just did it like once or twice a year for like a week you would learn so much about yourself and totally oh absolutely <laughs> you don't need to do it for long like you said you do it for a few days try to pick normal days you know I wouldn't do it maybe when you're on vacation or something but I would encourage everyone to do this there are some good apps you know some of them are free just do it, you know, do it for a couple of days. I would really encourage everybody to do this because I, I think you'll be surprised. And, you know, the other thing is with what will surprise you, I think, with your diet is I think a lot of people think they eat more vegetables than they do. Yeah. You know, like maybe you had that side salad with dinner, you know, and in your mind, you're thinking, oh, yeah, I ate vegetables all day. But you just had this little cup of, of like iceberg lettuce and that was your mm -hmm. vegetable intake for the day. Uh, when you record it, you'll you'll see this. Yeah, I felt silly that. last time. I I did it last year with my m my my doctor who is an MD and she does functional medicine and um, I was embarrassed <laughs> about the amount of vegetables I ate, but I it did help me change. <laughs> Yeah, well, you won't change unless you know. Yeah. And so, and I think, and this is this is true for exercise. Uh, I'll, I'll speak for myself. If you ask me how much I exercise, I'll tell you three to four times a week. Mm -hmm. But but the truth is, when I've actually looked at it, it's more like two, two and a half times a week, depending <laughs> on what you're defining as exercise. Yeah. <laughs> and this is my thing, you know, like I run around on shows like yours talking about this, but yeah. when I even looked at myself, I realized that I exercise less than I thought I do because each week something happens. Mm -hmm. I intend to work it out at least three times a week, but there's always something, right? Like I'm, I'm traveling this week for work. This week, there's something going on with the kids. This week, you know, I, I've got a big project coming. There, there's always something, but but that something happens almost every week, <laughs> right? And so, and so these some things add up, mm -hmm. and 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 they sabotage you. And so, in your mind, you think you've done what you intended to do, mm -hmm. but in reality, you did what happened because of what life threw at you. And life throws these curveballs at you all the time. So it's your job or it's it's my job to say, well, you know, I'm planning on working out three times a week, but the truth is I'm, I travel a lot. So I need to figure out some kind of way that I'm going to be able to keep working out despite the fact that I'm traveling in, in my case. Or if you've got a rigorous school schedule or whatever, you it, what you intend to do doesn't really matter. It's what you actually do that counts. Mm -hmm. Um. And then, so what other kind of stuff were you doing with your one-on-one -on -one work with retired athletes? Definitely um, a little bit of tracking, it sounds like, and right. you know, metrics and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So once we figured out your baseline, and then, so it's important to get a full set of labs. And the labs, mm -hmm. some of these are things your doctor normally orders for you, but there's a whole bunch of other labs that your doctor doesn't normally order that I think are important. Mm -hmm. And these are things that actually can measure your state of aging. They measure your inflammation. They measure your likelihood of contracting chronic diseases with time. Mm -hmm. 
they're not necessarily looked at. So I, I get all these labs that, that, that are important. And a big set of labs that deserve more attention than they get are things that look at blood sugar and insulin and how your body uses these. Mm. There's a lot of people that are not technically diabetic, mm-hmm. but their blood sugars are higher than they should be most of the time. And their insulin level, insulin is the, is the hormone your body releases to try to pull your blood sugar back down. Mm-hmm. Your insulin levels are higher than they should be, meaning that you are not as sensitive to insulin as you should be. And this is very worrisome. And there's lots of research now that when you have these sort of chronic higher blood sugar levels and higher insulin levels, even though you're not technically diabetic, you're at risk for all sorts of problems later in life. For aging, you're at risk for eye problems, you're at risk for brain problems, including at increased risk for Alzheimer's disease and dementia, Mm -hmm. you're at risk for heart disease. And so we need to figure this stuff out. And I would rather figure it out with you when you're 35 and you're coming to me and we're looking at your labs, than deal with it when you're 50 and you've got full-blown diabetes and you're starting to go blind. I would like to we want to look at this stuff now because there are things that we could do that will help you. And, 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 and the thing is, and, and I focus a lot on, on diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of easy dietary interventions that we could do to reduce your risk of many of these serious problems. And if your blood sugars are higher and your insulin levels higher, there's a lot of stuff I like to do that could really help. And, and they may be adding a few foods they could be taking a few foods away. And one of the big things I like to do, which is where the book title, Why Doctors Skip Breakfast came from, is fasting. And so I, I brought a little prop here. Okay. You can well. see it. For those of you who, who are watching, it's a, it's, a, it's a LaCroix. At least that's how I pronounce it. I'm not really sure how you're supposed to pronounce uh-huh. it. But, you know, these carbonated sparkling water. So I'm fasting. And, and I'm fasting now, actually, while we're speaking. And so I, I like to have these things while I'm fasting. They give me something fun to do. Yeah, right. I do. Yeah, those um are fun. That is a fun way to have water. I agree. <laughs> it is a fun way. And I, you know, I, I admit it, you know, I don't like water that much. But but you know, when you're fasting, it's important. And these are fun and I like them and they're flavored. You know, I, I if you look at my pantry, I must, you know, on any given day, I've got like five different flavors of these things, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always getting different ones. And it and it keeps it kind of fun. Um and then do you have you seen uh, athletes coming into retirement have issues with sleep as well? Does that go along with the mental health conversation, or is this a totally different conversation? So there's a few issues that I see often with athletes that are very very common. One of them, and this is more true maybe for football players, but but a lot of people have it is weight gain. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of athletes, and you know how it is from being an athlete, you you eat a lot during your playing years. In, in many cases, there's a few exceptions to this, like some of the more kind of cosmetic sports. But then um, now you're not playing anymore. You're not burning as many calories because you're not training every day. Mm. And you're not as young as you used to be, but you still have the same diet. And now you're gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And so this in and of itself isn't good for you, but it also causes sleep problems. So a lot of retired athletes, they end up getting, and, and this is, I think, maybe more true for men than women, but, but it can happen with women also. But certainly a lot of men have this as they get sleep apnea, as they get older. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is due to weight. Mm. And so what happens is, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with sleep apnea, and this is, I see this all the time. A lot of my, a lot of my patients have it. When at night, if you're snoring at night, mm-hmm. and if, especially if you're holding your breath at night or you're breathing, snore, 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 nothing, mm-hmm. snore, snore, that pause is called an apnea. That means that you've missed some breaths at night. Mm-hmm. And this is common in people that are overweight, but even people that are not overweight could have it. And what happens is it really ruins your sleep. It chops up your sleep. So your sleep is fragmented. You may be in bed for eight hours and you may be asleep for those whole eight hours, but your sleep is, is garbage. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's cut up. You're not getting the deep sleep you need. It's not restful. When you wake up, you don't feel refreshed, even though maybe you were in bed for eight hours. Mm-hmm. And, and this is very serious. And people with obstructive sleep apnea, it's called OSA, this is a very, very big problem. And a lot of retired athletes have this. And, 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 and what it does is it, over time, if you have obstructive sleep apnea, for men, it could cause impotence. For everybody, it can cause high blood pressure. It can cause heart disease. It could cause dementia. You're more likely to get Alzheimer's disease and strokes with time forgetfulness. It's very pro-aging. It's harder to concentrate. You're more likely to get in car accidents. You'll struggle at work with paying attention. Uh, people don't like you as much because you're more irritable. Mm. And this is actually funny. There's actually studies on this. Uh, people don't like their bosses as much <laughs> because they're irritable. You know, who wants to be around irritable people? Yeah. Uh, your kids, it's harder with your kids because you're short-tempered. You know, and so, so this is a big problem. And so you want to figure this out, you want to diagnose it, and there are things you could do to prevent it or treat it, treat it. So, so this is one big sleep problem that I see a lot, but there's other ones, there's insomnia, there's just poor sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. And this is something I, I like talking about, and I'm happy you brought it up because these are things that your listeners could actually do now. There are certain steps that everybody could do, you and me and everybody else that can improve our sleep. For example, it turns out, and I talk about this during my telemedicine, but everybody should look at this. And I would encourage you to Google this, Google sleep hygiene, because there are steps that we could all take to improve the quality of our sleep. And, and a couple of them are, you want to go to bed and get up around the same time every day. And uh, this is actually really important because a lot of people were kind of these, we have something called social jet lag, you know, uh, maybe you go to bed and get up at a good time in the weekdays, but Friday, Saturday rolls around. You're staying up late because you're going out to the bar or you're staying up late chatting online or talking to your friends or playing games or whatever it is you're doing. And then you sleep in late the next day. This is actually not good for you. And it messes up your sleep and it ruins the quality of your sleep. And, you know, I know it's going to happen from time to time, but the social jet lag, it's actually not good in the long run. And and I would try to discourage people from doing it. Whatever you can to go to bed and get up at the same time, more or less every day is is going to be better for your sleep because you're training your brain to, to know what time is sleep and what time is, is, is wakefulness. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many people don't realize that we operate on cycles, like, you know, and it's, um, it's just not common knowledge because we have so much like in our face all the time. Um, whereas, you know, our, our ancestral self, (laughs) um, 
had a very obvious cycle. Like, you know, they, they didn't have the same, you know, access to people, tools, technology, things, and it jobs, like it, it was just an obvious cycle of, right. Of, um, life. And we don't realize as modern humans that we require <laughs> like a, a cycle, you know, I think that's really good advice. <laughs> I'm happy you brought that up actually, because I'm, I'm reading a book. I'm halfway through it, but I like it. It's called the circadian code. I have, and, I, and yeah, I've seen it. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's a good book. The guy who wrote it, uh, he's a, a famous sort of aging kind of sleep researcher, PhD. But, you know, he talks about this, and it's just what you said, which is, if you think about our ancestors, I don't mean like, you know, 100 years back, but further, most of human history, you know, mm -hmm. you, when it was sundown, after the sun was out, you didn't really have light. I mean, maybe you had fire during part of the time, but fire was difficult to keep up. And, you know, it's not something you just had all the time. But you would pretty much go to sleep at sun at sunset, you know, or after, shortly after sunset. You were not up at night. And then you would wake up usually in the morning just before sunrise. Mm. And then you would go out and you would prepare yourself to go hunting or look for food or whatever. And you would do that stuff during the day. Then you would go to bed again when it was dark. And, and that's how we evolved. And we have the cycle. You said that that's for, you know, 90 plus percent of human history, probably 99% of human history. That's what we did. So mm -hmm. these lights and, and phones and everything else, this is not something we've had for most of our existence. Yeah. Um, it just came to mind, you know, my, uh, in a previous part of my career, I worked with a, a big program at a, uh, trap, like a, 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 a soccer academy here in Virginia. And I was the director of injury prevention and fitness for, you know, a, a upwards of 400 kids at a time on the competitive side. And injury prevention is an interesting topic because it's like selling insurance, right? Like nobody really cares until they get injured. <laughs> and, but one of the things that we talked about often was the sleep hygiene thing. And when you mentioned uh, the sleep apnea and bad sleep habits as, you know, adults and retired athletes, um, people and people in their late 20s and early 30s, I can't help but th to think that, you know, this stuff wasn't even uh, given to us or given us, given, we weren't able to have space for good sleep hygiene as teenagers because it is such a hard job to be a student athlete these days. Like most, I, I used to have to sit down with the parents and do these little, you know, um, Q and a chat, you know, and learn kind of sessions with them. And, you know, to be clear, like this is not the regular in travel soccer. Like the, the role that I had was pretty unique and proprietary in a way. Like there was there's no other clubs at that were doing this at the time, which was only a couple of years ago. Anyways, um, so we would have these little chats and I'd be like, you guys don't realize like your kids are like professional athletes. They are, they, their schedule is so packed that you have to treat their body as just an asset right now, 
even though it just seems like fun and games at times while they're driving two and a half hours to go to a game, right? <laughs> uh, you're just getting you ready <laughs> for your own girls. Um, <laughs> and um, they're just not given that opportunity sometimes to be a kid because the pressure's so high. And like, could they just be learning these bad habits then? And, you know, they get through their um, college career, their pro career, or just their college career. And um, they just end up with like not having any knowledge of how to operate their body outside of sports. Like, I think that's what I keep coming back to throughout this conversation. So amazing that you're, you know, helping us focus on this part of this, this huge transition for these, these athletes and young adults. So um, do you have any comments about that? Yeah, I'm thrilled that you mentioned that actually, because it, it turns out that if you, and there's good research on this, Athletes that are sleep deprived, and I'm not talking like an hour of sleep a night. I'm talking just a little sleep deprived, like maybe six Five hours. hours a night. Yeah. Uh, and this is a mistake people think. You think sleep deprived, oh, I, I pulled an all nighter or something. But if you're just sleeping six hours a night, you're sleep deprived. Especially as a teenager. Correct. Yeah. So if you're sleep deprived, you're actually much more likely to get injured mm. and, and, uh, and, and sports injuries. You're more likely to have injuries. And also, it takes you longer to bounce back from these injuries. So it surprises me if you're a teenager and you want to go into sports or you're a parent of someone who's, you know, your kid is in sports or you're a coach of a team, you know, you've invested a lot of money into your athletes and time. You want these people sleeping because you don't want anyone to get injured. I mean, this is your investment, right? Or, or if you're a teenager, your parent, these are your kids or yourself. You don't, you don't want to get injured. And so getting enough sleep is one of the best ways to do it. And, you know, on the teenage thing, you know, it's interesting, I talk about this in the book, Why Doctors Skip Breakfast. There's an interesting thing, you know, I'm from California and, you know, I love living there, but I, I, I love to make fun of them. But one thing California did right is they set these rules that uh, high school and I think middle school too, can't start before a certain time. Mm. And the reason is that during different points in your life, your sort of circadian clock, the, the time you like to go to bed and get up, it changes with age. You know, like babies, they sleep a lot. Uh, adults don't sleep quite as much as babies. But one thing about teenagers, it's true for most of them. And, you know, we all, like, if, if, you, if you're a parent of a teenager, you've struggled with this. But it turns out the teenagers, their, their, their day-night cycle changes a little bit, where it just fits their brain better to go to bed a little later and to get up later. So when you've got these teenagers that are staying up late, and I'm not telling you to let them stay up till midnight, mm -hmm. but when you've got teenagers that stay up later, part of that is just the way they're wired. They're wired to stay up a little later and to get up a little later. Plus, they need more sleep. Mm -hmm. So a teenager actually needs more sleep than, say, a 10-year-old. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing a lot of these teenagers a disservice because in many places outside of California, school starts early. So you have to get up early. And then you mentioned sports. You know, I know people, you, you, maybe you did this yourself. Uh, you know, you, you had uh, a training maybe that started at six in the morning or something like that because it was before school. So you've got these teenagers they are getting up at what, like 4.30 in the morning, five in the morning, That's something like that. Much. Yeah. And it's totally opposite what their bodies should be doing. Hmm. 
Yeah, I yeah, no, believe I mean it it's it's they're, they're they're just starting uphill and it just seems like the opposite of what we are preaching with saying, "Oh, it's really good for you to participate in sports and get this uh movement in because that's a whole, you know, that's a whole another side of this equation <laughs> and this problem of uh public health is not moving enough, but then, you know, on this end of it, they're just like doing too much and not and again, like just setting themselves up for this, like a lot of friction going into just being a healthy functioning adult. Wow. Um, <laughs> I think we could talk for a while, um, but I'd like to uh, start to wrap this up. Can we um, talk about your book a little bit? And, you know, I'm, I'm very curious as well as to, you know, how, how you got to, uh, you know, just say it, doc, doctors, Skip breakfast. Why Dr. Skip breakfast? Like, how'd you get there? <laughs> yeah, so I'll tell you. So a few years ago, I had never heard of anti-aging medicine. And, and my one of my best friends, he's a doctor too. He's a radiation oncologist. And what he, he treats people who have cancer with radiation. And so he told me about this anti-aging medicine, which I had never heard of. And I'm like, ah, oh, you're just making this up, you know? And he's like, no, 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 you could actually slow aging down. There's good research. I thought it was, you know, I've known him since third grade, so I thought he was lying to me. <laughs> he's like, no, this is a real thing. You, you've got to check it out. There's tons of articles in prestigious journals, like the New England Journal of Medicine and Nature and Science. So I looked and it was a real thing. And part of it is fasting, mm -hmm. daily intermittent fasting. There's different ways of fasting. And then so... This is back when I was uh, working at this major tertiary hospital in, in California, taking care of very sick patients. I'm an anesthesiologist. And so, you know, at the start of the day, uh, the anesthesiologists and I, we'd kind of hang out, you know, the surgeons would be there, we'd be chit-chatting, you know, probably like any, you know, kind of work environment. So we're all sort of just chit-chatting, talking about our kids' soccer practice or maybe the case for the day or something, a trip coming up. And what I noticed is that almost everybody was drinking coffee, <laughs> but <laughs> almost nobody was eating food. I mean, it's really pretty remarkable because you've got these high-performing people. They've all trained at, at Harvard and MIT and, and Stanford, and they're all there, and almost nobody was eating food during this early morning time, and almost everybody was drinking coffee. And so I just sort of have always taken it for granted. That's what you do. And, and these are people that may be like some of these surgeons, they may be going into like 10 hour, 12 hour surgeries. They're not cramming in a breakfast before surgery. And so I realized that a lot of my coworkers, they don't eat breakfast. And so what I found out later is these people were fasting, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them were fasting. But then when I went out of the hospital setting, especially a couple of years ago, you see everybody eating, you know, bagels and they're they're eating toast and they're eating danishes and they're eating all these things and sugary cereals and they're all eating these unhealthy breakfasts. And so it occurred to me that the stuff that we're doing as doctors for our health is very different than what the sort of general population was doing. Yeah. Um I well, yeah, that's that's a good story. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Um, and fasting is something you still practice to this day, it sounds like. Right, right. I, I try to fast for around 16, 17 hours a day. Mm, wow. Okay. That's impressive. Um, I, yeah, I can't say I've tried it too much, but I have my own 
you know, um, what is it? A set of, set of, uh, what is it? Constraints for myself to embrace the, I, the, the ideology and the the practice of anti-aging. And I think um, it's really just, it, you know, you just seem like you're, you're bold and honest and that you have um, a lot of energy for helping people do their best and perform. So, you know, it's an honor to, you know, get to know you over these last few months and, be able to, you know, help spread this wonderful uh, way of, you know, thinking about your body. So um, I think it was, you know, uh, I, I could honestly talk to you uh, a bit more about all of these topics. Um, and is there anything that we missed um, that you'd like to add? I think these are these are great things. And, you know, anyone who wants to chat more, you know, I love I love talking. Uh, uh, if you like, you could find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty active there. Gregory Charlop, C-H-A-R-L-O-P. I also have a website, Gregory Charlop, MD. Athletes, I've got a site, retiredathletehealth.com, retiredathletehealth.com. And then I really hope everybody listening will attend the Women's Sports Forum June 17th. It's online. It's great. We really have an impressive group of speakers, including a number of Olympians. You know, how often do you get to hear them talk about things? Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find that on womensportsforum.com. It's also, they have, there's a page on LinkedIn if that's easier for you to find. So I hope that you'll come there. And, you know, I'd love to chat with people more about these topics if you're interested. Mm, fabulous. Um, and you're on Facebook as well, or, um, okay. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Clubhouse. Clubhouse is kind of cool. If, you, if you're into Clubhouse, I only use it occasionally, but I'm wellness doctor. I was lucky I got a kind of a cool clubhouse handle there. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, yeah, I've been exploring clubhouse. I I think as a podcaster, it makes a lot of sense to connect with people there. Um, and, um, I've got mixed feelings, but generally very intrigued. Like, (laughs) um, so anyways, all right. Thank you so much. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes and that we have, um, you know, all the links to uh, get to the virtual summit on June 17th. And uh, thank you so much for hanging out with me and my audience. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. 